Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to talk about a very, very important subject. In fact, it's so important that you even linked a promise to it in the Old Testament and, and, and just showed just how significant it was. Um, it was the first commandment with a promise. And I pray, Father, that we would uh, take the time this morning to really understand the significance of how this impacts our lives. Bless our time this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, you all should go to a Little League baseball game sometime if you ever haven't done so before. Um, just grab like a Dr. Pepper, grab a bag of popcorn, sit down and, and just watch, okay? Just watch. But here's the thing. I don't want you to just watch the game. Um, I don't want you to keep track of the score or anything like that. Um, I don't want you to cheer for one side or the other. Uh, girls, I don't want you to like ooh and ah over the cute little kids and their cute little hats and stuff like that. Uh, guys, I don't want you to roll around in the stands laughing uh, because you're watching these little kids try to swing a baseball bat and miss horribly. Um, I don't actually want you to do any of that. I want you to do something else. I want you to watch something else, okay? I want you to watch the parents, okay? I want you to watch the parents. And ignore for a moment, okay, the, the common perception that parents turn into rage monsters at a Little League game, okay? Just ignore that for a moment. While, while there is some truth to that, let's just set that aside for the time being, okay? Observe the parents, okay? First, take a look at their eyes. What are they looking at? Chances are they're staring at the baseball diamond. They're fixated. They're locked in. They're glued to the game. That's, that's, that's probably what's going on. Next, take a look at their posture. Uh, maybe they're kind of sitting leaned forward with their elbows and their knees and their hands kind of cupping their, their cheeks as they gaze out into the field. Perhaps they're standing against the fence and they're gripping the fence and every time the pitch is thrown, their grip gets tighter and then as it's thrown back to the pitcher, their, their grip kind of releases. Um, and then I want you to listen to their words. Listen to their words, okay? Uh, you might hear something along the lines of, you know, Way to go, Tommy, or keep your eye on the ball, Trevor, or you know, hang in there, Allison, or something like that, right? From the start of the game to the end, they're shouting these things over and over and over again, okay? Finally, listen to their tone. Uh, you may not be able to pick up like any real words that are going on, but you know, it might, might be just like deafening screams of joy, you know, like woo, or frustration, like, Ah, and then like a trash can goes, you know, flying or something like that. So uh, there's clapping, there's whistling, there's hollering, there's screaming, all going on at the same time. But by the end of the game, their voices are gone. Okay, parents can get really into a little league game. They really can, and we know this. Now you might object and think to yourself, well, okay, but what's the big deal? What's the big deal? It's just a silly little game. I mean. To, to you and I, that's what we think. And, and to you and I, it might be. But not to these parents. Not to these parents. Oh, believe me, they, they would be just as disinterested as you are. Uh, they don't want to be sitting in the scorching hot 104 degree heat for two hours watching little amateurs, misfits, pretend they know how to play baseball. They don't want to do that. Okay, But they do. And they love it. They love it. 
They can't get enough of it. The question here is, what would possess these people to relish such pain? Why would they do that? Because there are little Tommies out there. That's why. Because little Trevor's up on the mound throwing his first pitch. Because little Allison's up to bat. That's why. Parents endure Little League games because parents love to watch their children play. Uh, if little Tommy or Trevor or Allison wasn't out there, the parents wouldn't be either. They wouldn't be. For the parent, the Little League game is all about their little tyke standing out in left field somewhere, okay? It's all about that child. Everything in that moment revolves around him, and it's the parent's boundless joy to watch his son or daughter play that sport. I mean, even if the child's a bench warmer, like just sitting on the bench the entire game, you, they're, they're cheering for their kid on the bench. You know, go Tommy! It's like, you're on the bench though. So, but that's true. Now here's the thing. There's a similar scenario where this takes place. It's not, a, it's not Little League or anything like that. It's on the diamond of history. It's on the diamond of history. And the father is God himself, and his son is Jesus Christ. Okay? God the father intently watches the events of life play out. And he's not fixated on the game itself. He doesn't have his eyes on the scoreboard or on the other team or even on his son's team. His eyes are glued on one person and one person alone. And that's his son. That's his son. Because to God, the game of history is not about the earth he created, as cool as it is. It's not about how much progress humanity has made, even though there are some pretty cool achievements and accomplishments across the ages. It's not even about mankind in general, the pinnacle of his creation, people who were made in his image. The game of history revolves around his son. It's all about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of God's universe. He's the center of God's world. He is the focal point of redemption, the linchpin of God's plan, the foreground of his masterpiece, the crescendo of his symphony, the climax of his presentation, the centerpiece of his handiwork, the pinnacle of his operation. Everything moves forward because of Jesus. Everything continues working because of Jesus. Everything deflects attention back to Jesus. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him belongs the glory forever and amen. Romans eleven thirty six. The father orbits all of human history around the work of his son. And he steps back and he enjoys watching his son go to work. Jesus is his name and salvation's his game. But the father loves watching his son play his game. Okay? Um, you're growing up in a culture that really doesn't know what I'm talking about. They have no clue. They have no clue. To them, Christianity is all about me. It's all about me. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is actually about a father watching his son accomplish something spectacular and heroic on the diamond of history. Christianity is about Christ. Christ, as novel as that may sound. And as we enter into a new commandment this morning, the fifth commandment from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're actually doing both today, um, 
we must keep this at the forefront of, forefront of our minds. Now, the fifth commandment, as you guys probably well know, and as you can see right up here, says, honor your father and your mother. And that's very simple to understand. That's very simple to understand. I don't think I need to beat an already dead horse here in one sense, okay? You know what this is, okay? But up to this point, let me just kind of review for you what we've been talking about. We have discussed the first four commandments, have we not? We've talked about no other gods, no idols, no taking God's name in vain, uh, keep the Sabbath holy, those kinds of things. Um, each of these commands reflects our relationship with God. That's what we've been talking about. The first two deals with God's authority. Do you consider God your ultimate authority? Or has something else taken its place? Everyone worships something. I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. Everyone worships something. And we all value something. Is it God first and foremost? Or have we set up another idol in our hearts? Okay, that's the question we've been addressing there with the first two commandments. The third commandment takes the, the first two to a whole new level. It says, if God's your ultimate authority, then you should treat him that way. You should treat him that way. Don't take his name in vain. Taking the Lord's name in vain is equivalent to disrespecting God. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira didn't respect the name of Jesus that they swore allegiance to uh, when they lied about the money that they were giving to the church. Um, and what happened to them? They drop dead on the spot. They drop dead. So God doesn't let you off the hook, uh, let people off the hook who take his name, um, who don't take his name seriously, who take his name in vain. So do you take God seriously or do you treat him casually? Okay. The fourth commandment takes it a step further. If God's your authority and you take him seriously, then you'll let him set your calendar. You let him set your calendar. God made time, and he controls all of it, and so all of our time should be devoted to him and his purposes. Everything we do should be channeled back to God. For Israel, that, mean, that meant um, observing a Sabbath day of rest on Saturdays. For us, that means reorienting all our schedules around God's gospel agenda. What's your calendar look like, and why is it set up the way it is? That's the question. But the fourth commandment caps off the, 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 all the commandments that relate directly to your relationship with God. And this morning, we move on to a new set of commandments, the last six. And these have to do with your relationship with others. And the final six commandments bear similar qualities to the first four. Um, and most notably, here's what they bear. They're, um, here's, here's how they are similar. They represent our three principles, right? Broadcast who God is and what he's all about. Show your love for God by your love for others. Uh, shine as a beacon of hope in a fallen world. Every commandment, uh, especially in these last six, are going to do all of that. They're going to show, broadcast who God is and what he's all about. They're going to um, show your love for God by your love for others. And if you remember, you know, we, I've been using kind of this illustration here. But if you move all these in the right way here, you'll, you'll remember that these particular commandments pair up 
uh, with ones on with with certain ones on the other side. So one and two go together with five. One and two go together with five. Three goes with six, seven, eight, and nine, and four goes with ten. This communicates that God is your authority, and so when you live life before others and you respect their authority, you're respecting God's authority. When you take uh, when you sorry when you take others seriously, you take God seriously. When you uh, respect other people's ownership, you respect God's ownership over time. And so there's this kind of, uh, th th each commandment is playing off of each other from each side, okay? So uh, the fifth commandment and all the commands to follow are no exception to all of this. Um, they communicate your love for God by your love for others. And last, the Ten Commandments are meant to shine as a beacon of hope in a fallen world. Each commandment links back with the creation account. It, 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 it's tethered back to the fall and the perfect world before the fall to remind us that God has a plan to bring everything back to the way it was. And so the Ten Commandments uh, really communicate all of these three principles. So let's start talking about this first one from the other side, and that is the Fifth Commandment. The Fifth Commandment. Turn in your Bibles... Uh, to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. And we're going to, and let me just read this really quickly for us so we can kind of get our understanding of, of what this is saying. Honor your father and mother just as the Lord your God commanded you so that your days may be lengthened and so that you may, uh, uh, so it may be well with you on the, on the ground which the Lord your God is giving to you, Okay? Now, this is pretty obvious. I think it's pretty straightforward. Honor your father and mother. And you can find a similar version of this fifth commandment back in Exodus 20, verse 12. So this is in Deuteronomy 5. This is kind of the revised version of Exodus 20, if you will, okay? But as you remember, we're not required to obey any of these commandments. We're not. You're not required to obey the fifth commandment because, as strange as that might sound, and, but we, like we've been talking about, we know better than that. We know better than that. That doesn't just let us off the hook just because we're not required to obey the fifth commandment. We may not have to obey the law of the Old Testament or its Ten Commandments because we're not Israelites, but we do have to obey the law of Christ and its commandments because we are Christians, because we're Christians. So the law of Christ lassos our three purposes together and drags them over into the New Testament. Uh, there's an honor your parents commandment in the New Testament, and it broadcasts something about God. And that same commandment shows your love for God by our love for others. And it also shines as a beacon of hope in a fallen world. Bottom line, there's a fifth commandment that got reduplicated in the New Testament. It's there and it's clear. And there's no clearer passage where we find the fifth commandment repeated than in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And you should be very, very familiar with this passage. Go ahead and turn there. And we're going to re spend the remainder of our time in Ephesians chapter 6. I want to look at just the first three verses of chapter 6 to do this. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and yet you may live long on the earth. This may sound painfully familiar to you, okay? And I say painfully because if you've ever grown up in church all your life, this got drilled into you since you were in diapers, okay? Um, And you might be thinking to yourself, well, why are we here? Like, what more can we learn from this passage? Isn't this for toddlers, right? Obey your parents, right? Au contraire, okay? Au contraire. In your short-sighted assumption that there's nothing more you can learn from this passage, you're going to miss that there's a ton you can learn about this passage. And it all starts with this big idea right here. The fifth commandment is all about the authority and centrality of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fifth commandment is all about the authority and centrality of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? That's what the fifth commandment's about. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but obeying your parents is all about the authority and centrality of of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. This isn't about obeying your parents. This is actually about highlighting and emphasizing the lordship of Christ over your life. And so I want to investigate these three verses more closely and learn a little bit more about what it means to obey your parents, okay? Because if you came here this morning with the idea that obeying your par- you obey your parents just because, then you've fallen into the same trap as modern Christianity, that life is about you and that your Christian life is about you, okay? But it's not. It's way more. It's way more. And so let me kind of open, open your eyes here to three groundbreaking, earth-shattering, death-defying reasons you must obey your parents, okay? Number one, Jesus is your ultimate authority. Jesus is your ultimate authority. So the first reason you must obey your parents is because Jesus is your ultimate authority. Everyone knows the line, children, obey your parents. Um, I think that's obvious. But I think what often gets overlooked is this tiny three-word phrase that comes right after it that says, in the Lord, in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That changes everything. That changes everything. But the question is, what does it mean? How does it change everything? Obey your parents in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, first, I want you to notice something. The Apostle Paul could have used any word for, for, any, word for uh, the, uh, any name for God that he wanted to here, okay? He could have used God. He could have used Jesus. He could have used Christ. He could have used Savior. But he didn't. He chose Lord. Lord. Now, Lord means uh, authority. It basically emphasizes God's authority. It expresses his, uh, his mastery, his, 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 his supremacy, right? Which shouldn't surprise us because this commandment connects to the first two, which, was what, which is what we talked about. This is all about God's authority, right? It's all about God's authority. And so when Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, he's focusing on your obedience to your parents underneath the lordship of Christ, underneath the umbrella of God's authority. Jesus is your ultimate Lord. He's your master. Your parents aren't your ultimate authority. God is. God is. Second, though, second, I want you to think about the word in. In. It's like in. What? Uh, It's a small word, but it's very, very important. It's very important. All of you are currently inside this room right now, okay? You're in this room, and uh, you're inside of it. You're not outside of it. Um, you're, you're not coming into it. You're 100% in it. 
in it. And there's not one part of your body that's outside of it right now, okay? Every part of your body is inside of it. If, if I were to step outside of this room and try to stare at you, what would I see? Just this room. That's all I would see because you're inside of it. Every time I look at this room, then I would, uh, I'm sorry, every time I would look at you, I would see this room. That's all I would see, okay? This room now defines you. It defines you, okay? Because you're inside of it. It blankets who you are because you're completely in it, okay? Being in the Lord means now that Jesus defines you. He defines you. He consumes you because you're in him. And this represents an important theme all throughout the book of Ephesians, and that is this. As believers, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We coexist inside Christ, and that redefines who we are before God and before this world. Uh, listen to all the in Christ language that's peppered throughout Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Sorry, that's 2-4. Uh, chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles who are uh, our fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 321, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There's like 30 or 40 more of these in Christ type statements throughout the six chapters of Ephesians. It's a big deal. It's huge. Christ reshapes and redefines who you are. You're a completely different person, given a new identity with a new passport and a new birth certificate uh, and a new name even. And it, according to Ephesians 6.1, it's all under the banner of Christ's lordship, his lordship, okay? He not only redefined you, he sets the agenda for your life because he's your master. So it's a radical change in life. It's a radical change in life. But what does this have to do with obeying your parents? Obeying your parents in the Lord links your obedience to God with your obedience to your parents. You can't separate the two. They go together. Um, in other words, the reason you obey your parents isn't because you have to. It's not because it makes God happy with you necessarily. It's not, uh, the reason is um, not, not even so much because God said so. Not even so much because God said so. The reason you obey your parents is because it directly reflects your obedience to God. In other words, the best way you show that you value God's authority is by practicing it with the human authority God has given you in this world. That's how you do it. That's radical. That's different. But that's equally powerful and influential in this world. Why should you obey your parents? Because Jesus is your ultimate authority. That's why. Second, Jesus is also your undivided attention. 
Jesus is your undivided attention. The second reason you must obey your parents is because Jesus is your undivided attention. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is right. Um, to be right is, 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 is simply that, to be right, as opposed to being wrong, right? Um, that, that, that's what it means. It's the, uh, do, doing something that is right. And yet, there's something more to this than what meets the eye, okay? Um, this is actually referring back to another part of the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 22. And just listen. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Paul says, Put off the old man according to your former behavior, which is being corrupted according to the deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and then put on the new man, which has been created according to God, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, our word right, for this is right, is not in necessarily verse 24 uh, of, of, chap of Ephesians chapter 4, but it is there. It's just disguised by a similar yet different form, and that word is righteousness. Righteousness. You can even hear the similarity, right? Righteousness and right are essentially the same thing. They're the same thing. If you're right, you're righteous, and if you're righteous, you're right. Um, Paul commands Christians to put on the new man, which was created in God's likeness, in righteousness, in righteousness. Um, Christians are righteous before God. Um, there, there's a new person, a new identity that every Christian now embodies. Every Christian now embodies. So, but let me ask you this question. Do Christians stop sinning when they become Christians? No, they don't. So how, how can God call Christians right then? How can he call them righteousness? They're still sinners. See the problem? There's kind of a problem here. But here's the solution. Because the one new man identity in Ephesians 4 didn't come out of nowhere. It's the identity of Jesus Christ himself. It's him. He is the one new man is Christ who is perfectly righteous and right. And the righteousness that you, Christian, in this room, have isn't, the, isn't your own righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. It's Christ's. You are righteous because you have Christ's righteousness. Because, as we've talked about, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. He defines you. And so his righteousness defines you. Okay? If you want to be in Christ, here's the thing. You want to be in Christ because when you're in Christ, you get all the benefits of being someone who's right. Right. As opposed to being wrong, which is what you are. When you're in Christ, you're right. God sees you as right. You are spotless rather than flawed. You are righteous rather than wicked. You are pure rather than defiled. You are holy rather than trash. That's what you are. So here's what the, the fifth commandment in Ephesians 1, 6, 1 does. It, 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 it doesn't promote your righteousness as if you're the one who's right because it's not your righteousness to begin with. It advertises Christ's righteousness. That's what it does. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. For this points to Christ's righteousness that we, by God's grace, somehow get to share a little bit in. That's what it does. Obeying your parents isn't about you. 
It's about Christ. It doesn't give you attention. Uh, it gives Christ the attention. So why should you obey your parents? Because Jesus is your undivided attention. And that's what, when you obey your parents, you're giving attention to him. You're showing his righteousness. And number three, Jesus is your unrivaled ambition. He's your unrivaled ambition. The third reason you must obey your parents is because Jesus is your unrivaled ambition. And this comes from verses 2 through 3 in Ephesians chapter 6. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now this should sound familiar because we just read it a little bit ago in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 16. This is an exact, almost an exact quotation from Deuteronomy. And what, what Paul's kind of doing here is he's quoting this word for word and he draws a straight line between the Old Testament and the New and says, the fifth commandment still applies today. You still have to honor your parents. Even though you don't have to follow the law of the Old Testament, you do have to follow the law of the New Testament. And particularly right here with this commandment, it's exactly the same today. It's exactly the same. But Paul adds a description to further explain the fifth commandment. He calls it the first commandment with a promise, with a promise. Uh, if you were actually to scan all Ten Commandments in the Ten Commandments, you'll find that one, two, three, four, five, the fifth commandment is the first commandment that attaches a promise to it. It's the, one, it's the first one that has a, a promise to it. And, uh, and this is the, what the promise says. It will be well with you, and you will live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. If you obey your parents, here's the thing. Life's going to be pretty nice for you, and you're going to get to live a ripe old age. That's what it's saying. Uh, you ain't going to die young. Uh, that's actually pretty cool, actually. It's like it's guaranteed a good life and a, a good long life. Um, you know, sign me up for that. I want that. So let's obey our parents, right? But here's the thing. That was the, the, guarantee, that was the guarantee God promised to the Israelites with the fifth commandment. Paul repeats this in Ephesians 6, and the question you might be asking yourself is, wait a minute, does that mean if I obey my parents today, I too am going to live a long life, a good life, free of problems and that kind of stuff? Well, here's the thing. Don't jump the gun too quickly with that, okay? Don't. Unfortunately, that's not the case, and that's not what Paul is saying. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12 actually promises the exact opposite. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yeah, sorry. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I guess that kind of rules out the promises of a good life, but sadly that's true. But the promise of a good life was, was only intended for Israel. It doesn't apply to us anymore. It doesn't. So the question is, why does Paul mention the promise in Ephesians 6? Why would you bring it up again? I mean, it's like taunting us, like the Israelites got a good life, but you didn't. Uh, actually, that's not the case. Um, if it makes you feel any better, um, Israel didn't make good on the promise anyways because they disobeyed. So they actually didn't get a good life and they died and they had problems. So, so if it makes you feel any better, I don't know. There's, there, that's there. But, uh, but you know, why does God, why, sorry, why does Paul mention this here? It, it's, a, it's a good question and it's one that hits on an important point that Paul wants you to realize here. Paul isn't promising Christians the good life what Paul's doing here is he's 
reminding Christians that Israel had the promise of a good life. He's reminding them of what was. In other words, Paul's highlighting how big of a deal the fifth commandment was back then. It was so big. This commandment was so important that a promise was included. It's like batteries, right? Batteries are included, right? That's a, that's a good thing when you buy something. You don't want to, have to go buy batteries. Well, a promise was included in this commandment. If you do this, this is going to happen. That's how big of a deal it was. You actually get to um, live a good life. And so th this command's a big deal. It's important. And Mentioning the promise emphasizes its significance here, okay? And so I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? If the fifth commandment was so important back then that it included a promise, how much more is the fifth commandment in the New Testament important for us? How much more? It's a big, big deal. Now, we don't have a promise necessarily attached to it, but it's still a big deal in the New Testament. Sure, it was a big deal back then, but, but, but that was before Jesus came and God's plan reached its climax. Now the climax has reached. And so this commandment's an even bigger deal now with Jesus here. Now, let me kind of show you how big of a deal this promise was in the Old Testament, okay? Let's say you obey the ten, this fifth commandment as an Israelite 2,500 years ago, okay? And you're... You're obeying your parents. You live a long, good life, right? That means you live a long, good life. What happens if you don't obey it? Think about the opposite. You what? You live a short, bad life, right? Basically, you die. And in fact, the, 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 the Old Testament law tells us that if you disobeyed your parents, if you were rebellious, what would happen to you? You were stoned. You were stoned. It's like, ouch. That's pretty, it's pretty, <laughs> so don't think it's like all like really nice. It was either one or the other, okay? Basically, this commandment hinged on either your life or your death, okay? That's what it meant, life or death. That's how important this was. It was life or death. It's a big deal. Well, think, well, think about it now. The commandment now is not life or death, but it is in one sense eternal life or eternal death. Eternal life or eternal death. The stakes are higher. Your eternal destiny could be on the line. Obeying your parents today is that big of a deal. Now I know obeying your parents doesn't save you. It doesn't, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But if you don't obey your parents, if you aren't producing that fruit of righteousness, what are you suggesting by your actions or lack thereof? that Jesus isn't really your true authority. And if he's not your true authority, your eternal destiny truly is on the line. So it is, in one sense almost today, still a matter of life and death. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 uh, tells us this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works that no one may boast. We know this. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, that's the gospel. We aren't saved by our works. Doing the fifth commandment or, or any version of it is not going to save you. Good works can't save you. We know that. But, but, 
I think we often forget the next verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned before him that we should walk in them. Salvation is tied to, uh, to, the, to our lives. You can't separate them. If you are saved, you are going to live for your Savior. That's what you're going to do. So the first, fifth commandment today could mean eternal life or eternal death. But here's the thing. It's even, the stakes are even higher than that. The stakes are even higher than that. And you're like, how can they get even bigger than that? It's eternal life or eternal death. It is bigger. Because this just has to do with you and me. Eternal life and eternal death just has to do with you and me. That's just focusing on us. But there's someone bigger that this centers around, and that's Jesus himself. He's at stake with this commandment. If you fail to obey your parents, you're basically saying that Jesus Christ is not your true authority. You're demoting him. You're demeaning him. You're making something, you're making him something that he's not. What you're doing is you're actually taking the father's gaze as he watches his son go to work and have to turn his attention to you when he shouldn't. Because everything is about the son. Everything is about what he is doing throughout all of redemptive history. And you have the audacity to say, I don't think that's really that big of a deal. Jesus really isn't that big of a deal. So I'm not going to obey my parents, and I'm not going to respect God's authority. Well, what's going to happen now? Well, God's going to turn all of his attention to you, and that's not going to be good attention. That's not going to be good attention because God loves his son. Everything, everything um, about this commandment really places Jesus Christ in the pivotal role in God's plan. How big really is the fifth commandment for us today? Well, disobeying Jesus Christ, or sorry, disobeying this commandment is bringing Jesus Christ down lower than he should, than you should. That's the greatest danger associated with not obeying your parents. The greatest danger is not that your parents would get mad at you, even though that's true. You don't want to disobey your parents because they will get mad at you. It's not that it could shorten your lifespan, you know, life or death. Although, I suppose that could happen. If you disobey your parents, you could actually harm yourself somehow. It's not even so much that, it's re- that it could be reflective of your spiritual destiny, even though that's very likely. The greatest danger in not obeying your parents is that you fail to obey Christ. That you fail to obey Christ. That you fail to make him your ambition that you give him the attention that he deserves. That's the worst crime. So why should you obey your parents? Because Jesus is your unrivaled ambition. He's what drives you. He's what motivates you. Have you ever noticed how surprised people get when they come across a well-behaved kid? You know, it's like, wow, that like little Johnny actually is really nice. That's surprising. You know, no one's, like, surprised when they see, like, a kid, like, like, like running rampant and destroying stuff. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, up, it's upsetting. It's frustrating. But it's not like, like, wow, like, I, you know, I can't believe 
that kid would do that. You know, it's, it's never like that. Um, you know, kids are never rebellious. No, everyone knows that kids are rebellious. But a well-behaved kid is quite the head-turner, isn't it? It's quite the head-turner. You want to have an impact for Christ to your peers, with your friends? Here's the thing. Obey your parents to the nth degree. Obey your parents to the nth degree. Have them over to your house. Let them watch the way that you treat your parents. And you're like, oh, that's scary. Well, okay, then we might have some work to do. But, but really work on that. And be the best kind of son and daughter you can be. You know, when you're asked to do something, do it right away. You know, don't, don't wait for your parents to, to remind you. Do it right away. Do it the first time. Don't hesitate. Here's something. Smile when you're talking with your parents, especially in front of your friends. And never interrupt them. We have, we have a tendency in our culture to interrupt people when they're talking to us, especially our parents for some reason. But really, our parents should be the people that we never interrupt. When they talk to us, let them talk. Let them say. Respect them. When they give you advice, listen. Listen. Okay? You may not agree with it. And while you're underneath their, their house, you, you probably have to actually obey what they say. But one day, you're actually going to come out of the house and you'll have a choice. You won't, you won't have to listen. You won't have to actually obey what they say. But, but you should always consider their advice. Always. Because that's what it means to honor your father and your mother. Even if you don't agree with it. Even if you think it's the dumbest idea in the world. Say thank you. I appreciate that. I will consider that. Okay? I guarantee you that'll turn heads. That'll turn heads. And I promise you, their heads won't be turning to you. They won't be turning to you. They'll be turning to Christ. They'll be turning to Christ. Because it's not your parents' authority that they'll be impressed with. It's Christ. It's Christ. And it's not your own righteousness they'll be wowed by. It's Christ. And it's not the burden of life or death that they'll feel. It's the overwhelming, matchless value of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who they'll be focusing on. And let's go before him in prayer. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and that in him we are your righteousness and that underneath him we are your servants and he is our Lord and Master. And that ultimately, he is our greatest ambition, our greatest joy, our greatest drive to obey our parents and to obey all of our, all the authority in our lives, Father. I ask that, Lord, we would take our obedience up a notch and that we would do it for the right reasons, for Christ, for his glory, because on the stage of history, Jesus Christ is doing a heroic work. And what a joy it is that we as Christians get to participate in that. And we get to admire your son 
in the salvation plan that he has performed. And I know, Father, that you've been pleased with your son. I ask, Father, that you would be pleased with your other sons and daughters, with us, as we emulate this significant person, this all-important individual in history, Jesus Christ himself, the only true God, our Savior, our Lord. In his name we pray these things. Amen.